Welcome to another episode of the Waters and Harvey Show. I am Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. And as always, Marcus and I are enthused and happy to have you all back here with us again in the audience for another episode of the show. We continue to enjoy the time that we spend with you all, continue to enjoy the feedback that we get from you all. One of the things that you will know is that uh, maybe just about a year ago, Marcus, I think we did a show uh, in reference to a project that is happening down, you know, not far from here in the Oakford area, um, the rail project. And when we did that show, we opened that show with a quote from Lewis Hyde's book, uh, A Primer for Forgetting was the title of that book. And Marcus, you'll probably recall that we, we quoted him as saying that we live in a culture that prizes memory, but recent conversations about American historical memory have revealed that there are components of our history that has either been forgotten, hidden, or sometimes just plain ignored. And this has been an ongoing conversation, Marcus, that you and I have had talking about historical memory, what we choose to remember, what we seem to not want to remember, and what we want to forget, and how we construct memory. But this has just been an ongoing conversation between you and I and our audience. Yeah, it's been an ongoing conversation, and I think the fact that it, we have <clears throat> found it necessary to continue to have this conversation uh, is a reflection of the difficulty that the country has uh, with remembering, right? With, mm-hmm. with with the practice of remembering its history in a way that is uh, honest, right? In a way that is um, uh, um, all-encompassing, wide-ranging, um, uh, and, and in a way that really does justice to to those stories that um, over the course of American history have been um, uh, overlooked, ignored, um, swept under the rug because they don't fit um, a certain uh, national sense of identity. And so I think you right. know, this, this conversation is important important to revisit. And you know, my, my hope is that it over time it will have um, uh, the effect in broader society of of sort of forcing or, or, or challenging America's, uh, Americans to reevaluate or reassess how they remember. Right. It's over That's true. Yeah. For me, you know, as a professional historian, it's what we do. It's what I do for a living. So I'm all in when it comes to talking about history and memory and how we remember things. Now, I have been challenged recently by this book by Lewis Hyde that we just referenced, A Primer for Forgetting. And I've been really challenged by another book called In Praise of Forgetting, which is talking about, okay, this effort that we put on remembering things, how about we put some effort on maybe getting beyond, especially some of the pain of the past. But one of the things I would also say there that I think you and I I have said this in, in recent conversations, that in order for us to really get beyond some of the pain of the past, we have to first deal with it, right? So being, being bold and courageous enough to deal with some of these painful parts of our, of our story, of our national story, I think is important. In that earlier show, Dan Pierce, Dr. Dan Pierce, who is a really good friend and colleague, was our guest to talk about this project. He's going to be joining us again today with another member who has been working as a part of that project, uh, Mr. Steve Little who is the mayor of Marion. And we're going to be bringing them into the conversation in just a few 
few minutes to talk a little bit more about what is going on with this project. But one of the things that we do want to acknowledge is the interest that you all in the audience have really uh, shown in this project, because a number of people have commented to me about how much they really enjoyed that earlier show. Now, the reality is, is that anytime Dan Pierce is on the show, people are going to enjoy it because he's such a good storyteller. You get drawn into these stories. And so people were talking about that. One person I want to mention here, um, Marcus, is you know, a new member of this community, has been here for a while. Uh, Kurt Swenson, who uh, is at UNC Asheville, is a vice chancellor of advancement. Kurt pulled me to the side and said, look, you know, this was a really good introduction to, to living in this region here in Western North Carolina and some of the rich history that is here. He even told me that his son thoroughly enjoyed that conversation, especially when you're talking about the railroad and riding the rails. So it's great to uh, to know that you all are getting so much from the show. And I know you feel the same way, Marcus. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I would just encourage people to continue to explore um, <clears throat> the stories that, that, that we feature on the show, because mm-hmm. because in almost every case, uh, there are stories that have not gotten, have, have not received um, the attention that they deserve. So mm-hmm. they, they're certainly worthy of, of, of further investigation. Right. So it's great that you and I were saying in that earlier show that one of these hidden stories was the story. Well, not so much hidden, but it's just a story that people were not familiar with, Mm -hmm. with the laborers who helped to build the Western North Carolina Railroad and how important the completion of that railroad was to the development of this region. And Marcus, I can't before we move on, I can't uh, help but think about um, this, uh, what is this, the centennial anniversary of what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I think that I was shocked as I listened to stories on other radio programs about commemorating that and, and remembering what happened in Tulsa and how many people who had even grown up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, had no idea that that this event had ever occurred. So it, I think, Marcus, it buttresses the point that you and I make that there's so much that we still don't know about our historical experiences. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, <laughs> if th- th- there may be no better time in the country's history than now uh, to really sort of prick people and, 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 and invite them in a, in a, in a challenging way uh, to really confront these stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though, even though they have been, um, uh, you know, largely ignored uh, over mm-hmm. the course of history. So, you know, I, I think now perhaps there's no better time than now, <laughs> right? right. To, right. To remember what happened in Tulsa, to talk about the mountain division of the West North, West North Carolina railroad and, and the, the incarcerated laborers whose mm-hmm. labor was, vital to the completion of that of that project, which, as you pointed out a moment ago, uh, really was was essential to the development mm-hmm. of this part of the state. So. Right. And let me say this too, Marcus, and then we'll bring Dan and Steve into this conversation with us uh, about this project. But one of the things that I would love for people, you know, my our fellow citizens in this community across the state of North Carolina and the country at large to be thinking about is that five years from now, we will be uh, commemorating uh, the 250th anniversary of the American Revolution, the signing of the, uh, the Declaration of Independence, and all of the ideas that are in bo- that are embodied in that document. And I think that if we look at our history, while there have been fits and starts and there have been these painful pieces of our 
of our experience, I, I can't help but think of Ralph Ellison, who, who has said that it has been people who, people of color, largely, and people who have been oppressed. And it's not just people of color. I think, Marcus, of the story of, of Homestead in, in Pennsylvania and the laborers there and how they were taken advantage of early on as America was industrializing in the late 19th century. But thinking about those ideas and how we have been pushing and moving the needle. There's work that still needs to be done, but you and I have been asking in this latest series of shows that we've been doing two major questions. Who are we and who do we want to be? And I think that those are important, those are important questions for us to be thinking about as we as we move towards the 250th anniversary of the, of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So with that said, Marcus, let's bring Dr. Pierce and Mr. Steve Little into this conversation. Dan, it's good to have you back. And Steve, it is wonderful to have you join us today. How are the two of you doing? Great, great, Darren. <laughs> Thank you. What a, what a treat it is and an honor to participate in your show. Right. We're so well, we're so happy to have you here, and I know that you have a busy schedule, so the fact that you could take the time to kind of join us today, I think, is, is a real treat for both Marcus and me. Dan, how is it going on your end? It's good. We're back in school here at UNC Asheville in person, so as as weird as that is, Marcus, I know you're <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so far, so good, so happy yeah. to be back. You know, and Marcus, I can't help. I have to ask Dan, how does it feel to be back with students? I mean, you know, for, you know, Marcus and I talked about this earlier, nearly a year and a half. I mean, we were teaching virtually, but Marcus has already said, and Marcus, please feel free to jump back in here, that you're really glad to be back in the classroom. But, you know, I had to take a punch at Marcus in an earlier show to say, <laughs> yeah, that's because he's such a showman. And, um, you know, he, <laughs> no. he, was, he, he was looking for a captive audience, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> No, no, no. I, you know, I, I was just saying, Dan um, and, and Steve, that, you know, I, I taught remotely for the past academic year and, um, you know, I had gotten accustomed to that and I wasn't really sure what the experience of, of returning to the classroom, you know, in, you know, amidst what is an ongoing pandemic would be like or how, how students would respond to that. But uh, much to my surprise, um, thus far, you know, students have been not only engaged, but um, it seems to me eager to be back in the classroom um, and to engage with professors and and um, among themselves. And so, uh, yeah, so so I, I would say that the semester's um, off to a good start, even though um, uh, that start is a risky one. <laughs> so, but Dan, you know, I, I wonder what your experience has been thus far. No, I, uh, that was the word that jumped to my mind is, is with the students was eager. Uh, yeah. There is a real eagerness to kind of, have some normality, yeah, yeah, normality in their lives, and uh, um, and 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 get back and and those those uh, mm. face to face. It, it it was funny today. I had a small group meeting with some uh, senior thesis students, and I saw this student sitting in the hall, and I didn't. He was wearing a mask, and I didn't recognize him. But the, then he walks into my office, and I realized it was a student that I'd known for you know since last January. But he was much taller than I expected him to be. <laughs> I'd never seen him in person. 
<laughs> so, Steve, you know, you're you're down in Marion over in McDowell County. Um, how are things in, in, in Marion? I mean, are people wanting to get back to normal? Are they finding that difficult to do? And how are you all navigating through that process? Oh, I think the word used already, eager, still applies to us as well. Mm-hmm. One thing that we're anticipating in just a couple of weeks is another iteration of the Bigfoot Festival in downtown Marion. Oh. And I have to tell you, I'm a little bit apprehensive. It's going to be on a Friday afternoon and all day on Saturday. The last time we had this, we had approximately 40,000 people oh, wow. come wow. to downtown Marion. Wow. 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 With wow. the pandemic as it is now, I doubt there'll be that many people, but there's so many who are so eager to come out They might take excessive risks. Who knows? But but we're doing the best we can to try to stay healthy, try to encourage people to be vaccinated, encourage people to wear their masks, even though it's not convenient and not cool looking. Um, It's healthy. Yeah, and Steve, just a quick question. I I I I I didn't know about this about this Bigfoot festival. Oh, Darren mentioned earlier that you're a um, a historian. Do you know how long this has been a thing in Marion? Well, I can tell you this would be the third annual Bigfoot festival, so it's okay. relatively it's recent relatively new as, okay. as a festival. We had to skip last year. It uh, would have been the fourth, but okay. Um, Oh, my goodness. It is very popular. I was on a radio show a few days after our first one with a host in California, and he was saying, uh, you know, of course, that the real Bigfoot is in the Syria Mountains of California. (laughs) And I said, well, you know, his first cousin is in the Blue Ridge Mountains in McDowell County. We had a good time talking about that. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm going to, when we, when uh, the chance, when it, uh, the chance, uh, um, materializes i want to come down to this festival at some point uh steve i I really want to have this experience oh yes yeah but you know if we're thinking i think that this is a good segue into the topic of of our topic for the show talking about a bigfoot or a bigfoot print the western north carolina railroad has a major major footprint in in this region of the state it was so important and we we were talking about that uh in that last show that we did with dan and the construction of 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 the western north carolina railroad and dan gave us a really good sense of you know the labor and what went into actually bringing that railroad up the Blue Ridge Mountains of Western North Carolina and the labor that was involved. And I've written about this in my own work about the African-American laborers who were at the time identified as convict laborers. And, you know, there's so much that is packed in that in and of itself. Um, And it prompted this wonderful project to memorialize uh, these workers, these these laborers, people who have been involved in this. And Dan, I just want to end for both of you and Steve, just to go back to the basic question that we asked in that earlier show. You know, what what was it that prompted this project and this effort to memorialize this group of men and people who were involved in this project? And and why? Why now? Well, um... You know, part of it is, is the fact that I live right there. Um, I, 
I hear the trains coming through. I hear the train whistles coming through as they're, as they're getting ready to go into the Swannanoa Tunnel. And so I'm around this area uh, all the time. I hike and bike in that area. And uh, ever since I moved there about five and a half years ago, I, um, you know, being aware of the history, I was, uh, uh, I don't go near those tracks without thinking about the fact that, that um, while those tracks represent a lot of progress and the opening up of Western North Carolina, they also represent a mass burial site and uh, are the legacy uh, of the ongoing legacy of the labor of these and the sacri- uh, unwilling, in, in most cases, unwilling sacrifice of these people, but, it, but, but extreme uh, sacrifice. And so, but, but there's just very little indication of that. And so I, I was thinking about that and, and, um, and then I think the whole um, um, George Floyd uh, murder and the uh, Black Lives Matter and the whole discussions about memorials, I think, got me to thinking that there's there, there's really nothing to commemorate this. <laughs> and this is so important. And so um, I reached out to Steve and I knew that Steve had a deep interest and 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 felt much the same way. Uh, and and then things just kind of took off from there. So so I'll let Steve explain his his interest in this. Sure, Dan. My interest began truly a little more than 50 years ago when I read John Ely's book, The Road, for the first time the year it came out, 1968. I was partly drawn to that book because the topic was so fascinating, but also the location of the book was an area that I knew, Ridgecrest, uh, what is now called Ridgecrest, from years being at that summer camp. That's where I met Dan, by the way, uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s. But I've been researching that since since 1971, fully researching. And here it is 50 years later. You have to think about why. Why was the railroad even built? Now, originally back in the 1830s, the leadership of the state of North Carolina had a very material reason for wanting to have the railroad go all the way to Tennessee. And that's because they wanted to promote and enlarge and increase the business of the ports of North Carolina. And the great opportunity that lay beyond the border, the the undiscovered West, which in those days was Tennessee and the Ohio Valley, the Tennessee Valley, to bring in materials and minerals and who knows what all good stuff. You are listening to the Waters and Harvey Show here on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. Again, you're listening to the Waters and Harvey Show here on Blue Ridge Public Radio. Marcus and I are in another conversation, a rich conversation with Dr. Dan Pierce and Mr. Steve Little, uh, the mayor of Marion, North Carolina, about the rail project, um, a project to memorialize the African-American workers who helped to build the Western North Carolina Railroad. And as we were ending, Steve was giving us a really good history of the development of this railroad and what prompted the development of this railroad. Um, Marcus, I'm going to let you 
you jump in here because I know I can tell by your expression that you've got a question. Yeah, and well, you know, when, when I think about the 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 story of the incarcerated laborers who who essentially built the uh, the West North Carolina Railroad, and about how that story is is not well known, um, <clears throat> I'm both surprised and I'm not surprised, right? Because we know that this kind of um, uh, forced um, labor among incarcerated black conflict black convicts was fairly common in the second half of the 19th century especially after radical reconstruction um and so i guess i guess something i'm wondering um dan and steve um um, um as historians uh why why is it why is memorialization important right i think that i think dan you, you sort of started to, you started to touch on this um earlier in your comments but um Thinking more broadly, you know, why, why, why do you, from from a historian's perspective, why is it valuable to memorialize um, um, this sort of um, this particular effort, right? Um, and especially given that, you know, I, I don't know of of many projects like this, right? Um, that that really sort of recognize and honor the labor um, that African Americans who were sort of um, forced to work under the convict leasing system um, did um, after Reconstruction. So if that question makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and Dan, before you and Steve jump in there, I just want to say how important this question that Marcus is raising is, especially in if you can, resp- either of you can respond to this. And when you think about the controversy around, around memorialization that we're dealing with right now, you know, it, 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 I think it, it that makes Marcus's question here, I think, so much, at least for me in my mind, so much more important. But please jump in here. Well, one of the things that was important to me uh, is because there has been this conversation and and a lot of action, actually, in terms of taking monuments down. But I but I thought that that we needed the other side of that conversation, uh, Marcus, that uh, says, OK, we're taking these down. What should we put up? And um, and I, I guess part of me, you know, being I don't know, uh, a big believer in gratitude. I mean, you know, I, and that's part of why we memorialize things to express gratitude. Uh, and um, uh, and also we put memorials up to express sorrow and remorse over things that have uh, that have happened. You know, we, we memorialize the dead. And that's an important thing here because, again, it was um, a wonderful thing uh, and a tragic thing uh, in how it happened. And that needs to be acknowledged. And I think one of the things, Marcus, that, that, that you referred to earlier is the importance of remembering. Uh, uh, if we're going to move forward as a society, um, you know, maybe there are things that we will eventually forget, maybe, but in the process, unless we confront those things in the past. And again, I think, you know, how do you heal? You know, you say um, um, you have to acknowledge the pain uh, and you have to acknowledge the sacrifice and you have to acknowledge the cost. And so this was very important to me that uh, that 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 be uh, acknowledged and recognized. Steve, the the people who were in charge they've been recognized. 
Andrews Geyser. That's named for Colonel Alexander B. Andrews. He wasn't involved in the Mountain Division, but he was involved in the Western North Carolina Railroad. Major James W. Wilson. He has a relatively small monument, but he's got one, and he's it's been in place since the 1920s. But people do not know, as a rule, how the railroad got here. The railroad lasted for roughly 100 years as a major, major uh, development point of all of Western North Carolina mm. until the railroad was created and built in Western North Carolina. There was no dependable transportation. If you wanted to go from the little teeny village of Asheville to the little teeny village of Marion, you could plan on about a two to three day travel time, and it would be partly by stagecoach. And if you're lucky, the stagecoach would not be caught in the mud coming down the mountain between what we, Black Mountain and Ofort. But if it did get stuck in the mud, guess what? Passengers, you get out in your fine clothing and you push in the mud just like everybody else to get this stagecoach back on the way. It opened up Western North Carolina. And who did it? Who did it? You think about the, 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 the issue of slavery and you think how horrible, how horrible it was to treat humans as, as equipment, as tools, as personal property. And then you think about, well, this was after slavery. So these were convict laborers. And then you think, which is worse? There's no question which is worse. Convict laborers, that was worse than slavery. The slave owners had an investment to protect. They would only push their hired hands, so to speak, their employees, their, their slaves to a certain point. They didn't want to risk their lives because they wanted them to work. So therefore, they would make sure they had a little bit of warmth in the wintertime uh, and enough to stay alive and food enough to eat. On the contrary, when they were convict laborers stuck upon the side of the mountain in these stockades, they were nothing but pieces of equipment. There was no investment to protect because they were replaceable and they would be pushed to the point of death. And Steve, I think you you really have addressed the point here that I was thinking about and I was going to ask you because the Western North Carolina Railroad was so important to the economic development of, of Western North Carolina. So it was not just the ports in the eastern part of the state of North Carolina, but the western part of our state benefited greatly from the construction of this railroad. And then I and I, I want to uh, to to just you know, thank you for a point that you made about because, Marcus, it, it just reminds me of the, many of the conversations that you and I have had about respecting and honoring the ancestors. Right. This is something that I have learned deeply from you. And I can't help Marcus, but think here as well from thinking about the comments that both Steve and Dan have made here about what James Ferguson has said in these conversations that we're now having around, especially in Asheville, the reparations issue. And James has said that we need to deal with the reputational wound that these experiences have had on the people who 
went through those. And he doesn't think, he believes that not until we deal with those reputa- that issue of the reputational wound, we're not going to be able to really move forward. So Dan, I think the point that you made really speaks powerfully to the point that James Ferguson, you know, who's a native of this region as well, you know, attorney, civil rights attorney in, in Charlotte, but the, it, it speaks, I think, powerfully to the point that he has been made, that he's been making. Marcus, I don't know if you want to address that, but I think, you know, it's a powerful point. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I this, this whole issue of, of, of the reputational, uh, the, the reputational wound, um, I, I agree. Um, as it relates to sort of uh, confronting the past, wrestling with it, moving forward, um, and this is this this is just my perspective. Um, I I don't know that it's possible to move forward um, unwounded, right? I I don't know that 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 uh, a kind of once and for all healing is achievable, right? I, I think I think once once I think once people really are are confronted with um, the brutal truth, for example, of how this railroad was constructed, um, of, of about the lives that 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 were lost um, inhumanely in order to ensure the completion of the railroad. Um, and, and, and again, this is just one small episode in a longer history of of inhumanity in this country. I I don't know that that, that the country ever heals from that wound, uh, but but I do think that a, a decision can be made to kind of live as a wounded nation. Right with this history, um, and use that 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 knowledge that 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 history as a way of um of better understanding ourselves. Uh, but but having said that, um, I'm curious to hear uh, from from you, Dan and Steve. Uh, so where's the project now? Right. Um, I think we spoke earlier about um, some some developments, but I'm curious to hear more about that, Dan and Steve. Well, uh, we are. We are nearing, uh, I guess, the end of phase one, I guess we would say. Uh, and it, it was really interesting when Steve and I first uh, met on my porch and had breakfast and started talking about this on July 7th of 2020. I think, at least from my perspective, I'm thinking this is this is something we'll work on over the next several years. And we never really expected things to move as quickly as they have. But um, we were able to get permission from the town of Old Fort to uh, put the memorial at Andrews Geyser. Um, we have, were able to publicize the project and, uh, and then raise money. And so we've raised a little bit over $15,000. And, um, and then we have recently, we have commissioned uh, a stonemason, uh, Paul Twitty, to do the uh, memorial itself, and then a memorial company. Steve can comment on local Marion Memorial Company um, to to do the uh, memorial plaques, which will include names of uh, of of some of the uh, um, incarcerated laborers that uh, that sacrificed so much to make this happen. So we're moving along, uh, you know, and and looking at an October uh, tentatively on October seventeen dedication. So. Um, Steve, it's, it's wonderful. And Steve, I, I would love to hear from you, too, as you as you respond to that. You know, uh, how how has the community responded? It, you know, in that earlier conversation with uh, with Dan, 
And then hearing the comments that Marcus and I have heard from many of our listeners is a great deal of enthusiasm. You've been able to raise this money. Were you surprised? And then you were able to get the, the town to uh, to go along with uh, with the construction of this of this memorial. Were you surprised that people were so you know, ready to just jump in and get this work done. And and I still think of that in the context of, of the controversy that we're currently dealing with around these whole issues of memory. Yes, I, I was surprised. I still am somewhat surprised because people, um, they've known that generally I'm well known as being a railroad enthusiast, mm-hmm. but those who have heard me talk about it or seen the one-man productions that I've done over the years know that these convicts, these incarcerated laborers were almost almost exclusively African-American men. So in, in this cultural environment, for people to express enthusiasm and being pleased that this group of people that, that have had no spokesman for them forever, uh, are going to be recognized and memorialized. So yes, I've been delighted and surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, I, and I'm curious. I'm curious, Steve, Steve, and Dan. I mean, maybe maybe this is a little bit premature. I know that the monument is, has not um, not been uh, completed just yet. But but do you do you imagine that uh, that this memorial will will have a significant impact on the surrounding community. Um, Steve, you just talked about how, you know, you were you were sort of pleasantly surprised to see that, that there seems to be a receptivity in the community to, to remembering um, these laborers. Uh, do you see the memorial having an impact, uh, like a long-term impact on the kind of ethos of the surrounding community, raising awareness about, about this history and about other related histories during the same period, right? The second half of the 19th century, maybe even moving into the 20th century? Marcus, that's a great question. And yes, I do. I do think this will have a significant impact, partly because Andrews Geyser, we, we carefully chose that as the location where we wanted the memorial to be. I mean, that's sort of like the heart of the railroad. Uh, it's not in the middle, but it's sort of close to the middle anyway. But it's the only recognized spot that's on what used to be known as the Mountain Division. And it draws thousands, thousands of people every year. I've seen some old video things on YouTube of people coming up, taking pictures on vacation and saying, oh, wow, look at this. I wonder who, wonder who Andrew was and, and, and why did he put his guys around here? Mm-hmm. People who have no clue. Well, no. now, now they're going to be able to go over to the memorial and they're going to be able to read a little bit about what this is and understand that this was a sacrifice of the highest order by people who worked under severely brutal conditions under forced labor uh, because they had no choice. Dan, I would love to hear your response to that as well. You know, were you surprised by the the interest that people showed in in the project and um, and the openness to actually have this conversation? And I'm curious too, Dan, if you could just you, both you and Steve, if you could share with the audience because you said part of the uh, the memorial itself will have the names of some of the uh, the laborers who worked there. How did you find those names? You know, what what went into that process uh, of finding uh, some, out who some of these these men were? 
Um, well, this came out of the work really of Ancheski Smith, who is the director of the Western North Carolina Historical Association. She uh, previously headed up the Swano Valley Museum. And uh, while there, she did some research uh, on this. And so she started digging and she found a couple of things, doing some newspaper searches. Um, she got some names from newspaper reports, basically, of convicts uh, who were shot trying to escape. Mm. So their names appeared in the paper at that. So we got a few names from that. Most of the names, however, came from the 1880 census. And so there were still, even though the railroad had been completed through that area, there were still um, stockades and, and work camps for these incarcerated uh, um, laborers. And so, um, you know, and when, when the census comes around, some years uh, politicians want to count people and some years they don't want to count people. This year, evidently, they want to count everyone. So they they uh, that's where we got most of the names was from the 1880 census. So and that was a really uh, important thing, I think, to all of us that um, that we were able we're not going to be able to put every uh, as Steve pointed out the other day. If we put all the names we have, they would be so tiny you wouldn't be able to read them. And so we're we're putting a representative uh, representative sampling of, of, of names. But that was very important for us to really acknowledge the humanity um, uh, uh, here and uh, that, that these were people. You yeah, gotta see it, their names. And when you see names, you know it's people. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's too abstract a concept mm-hmm. to, to be brought home. Yeah. It is really, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Marcus. Oh no, yeah. I, I, I was just going to ask a follow up question uh, uh, to Dan because I, when I when I was reading that um, that many of the names had been um, called from the 1880 census, I was thinking, whoa, um, someone actually decided to count people that that year. And so I was just curious, Dan, that what was what what was it about about that particular year that led to the decision to actually count people, um, you know, <laughs> in, in a period where, you know, you know, you, you couldn't necessarily count on a census to be accurate. What was there something peculiar about that particular year that, <laughs> that led to this, to this, you know, more, I guess, to, to a fairer uh, counting? Yeah. And, and Marcus, if I can, you keep asking great questions here. And and it gives me the opportunity to make another point about uh, about Dr. Pierce. Okay. That, and it's something that I hope that I can actually develop at some point. But Dan has a subtle and I would say brilliant way of saying something to make a larger point. <laughs> and, and there was a larger point about this whole census thing. And I think of the conversations that we're currently having so brilliantly to come back to it. But Dan, and, you know, bravo on being able to make that subtle point. <laughs> well, and the answer to Marx's question, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. But but, you know, as uh, uh, as we know, in our current history, it probably had to do with redistricting. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that would be my suspicion uh, uh, as to why and Republicans were in charge at that time. And so. I think it probably was an issue of of, of okay. redistricting, but uh, but yeah, but that year they're going to count everybody okay. in North Carolina. Okay. Well, again, you're listening to the Watterson Harvest Show here on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a moment.
Again, this is the Watterson Harvey Show here on Blue Ridge Public Radio. Thank you for staying here with us. We are talking to Dr. Dan Pierce and Mr. Steve Little, the mayor of Marion, North Carolina, and we're talking about the rail project and this effort to memorialize the men who helped to construct the Western North Carolina Railroad. That project is nearing completion, at least in this first phase, as they, as they have told us. And we just want to continue to find out what is going to happen next. But Dan, thanks again. As we went out into that break, you were making the point about, you know, being able to find these names and the names, at least the names of some people. And Steve, I think, you know, the names really do make people real. And I couldn't help but think about how powerful the Vietnam Memorial has been in Washington, D.C., simply because of the names that are there. And um, and work that we've done here, Dan, here in Western North Carolina with the um, the Slave Deeds Project, when you go in and you look at these these deeds and you see names, it, it really makes the story very, very real. And and if I can, this gives me an opportunity just uh, to, to, you know, really give some, uh, maybe a shout out and props to the work that archivists, that people in the archives do. I had recently the opportunity to, to visit the Western region uh, of the state archives and was there as Heather South and an intern working through a whole new box of documents that they've gotten from Burke County that no one knew uh, really existed, Steve. And there were records in there about the Western North Carolina Railroad. I saw this while I was there with them that was kind of like manifest of the uh, rails being shipped um, to Western North Carolina. So these are new documents that people haven't seen. And I think that will offer, you know, a way to continue to enrich the story around the construction of, of this railroad. But, you know, as we kind of move forward with this, you know, Dan, can you, can you, you know, describe, you and Steve describe a little bit, you know, kind of paint a picture for our listeners about, um, you know, where exactly where the, the, the uh, memorial will be uh, located, you know, what actually inspired the design uh, for, uh, for the memorial it, it as well. Oh, I'll turn that over to Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Andrews Geyser just seemed to be the appropriate spot for people who are curious and maybe have heard of it, maybe haven't. It is a man-made geyser. Just answer your first question. To get to it, you you go to Old Fort and you get on Old Highway 70 on the west side of town. It's very close to the – it's about – two to three-tenths of a mile west of the giant arrowhead in the middle of downtown Old Fort. Turn right onto Old Highway 70, go two and a half miles, go to Mill Creek Road, turn right, go two miles, and you're right there. And there's the geyser. Some days the water flows, some days it doesn't. Breaks my heart, but nevertheless, uh, it, uh, it's, it isn't always dependable. But that still is the spot. When, when the memorial is dedicated, people will be able to stand and look at the memorial, and the train will be on both sides of them because it's in a loop, a great large loop of the railroad tracks. And what I genuinely hope is people will pause, listen to the sounds of nature, listen to the sounds of Mill Creek as it babbles by, and the sound of the mist of Andrew's geyser when the water is flowing and read this and leave with a lump in their throat, perhaps 
tears running down their face. That would be very appropriate. I know that I will be like that. Yeah, I, I have to say, as a, as a scholar of religion, it, it, it sounds to me like this this memorial may serve as a kind of sacred space, um, right, uh, for, for for the community and, and indeed for for the state. Um, um, uh, I, I'm also curious to know, uh, so so who who's involved? And in, I think we, we we talked a little bit about the design of the project. Um, I think this is much earlier. Maybe it was before the show started. But um, could you say a word about uh, who who's involved in the design and construction of the project? Dan would be better at that. Dan, you take okay. that away. Okay, we we were very fortunate uh, in uh, being able to contract with uh, uh, a local stonemason by the name of Paul Twitty. And Paul has uh, he lives in Old Fort, has deep roots in that community, and and it it may surprise folks that um, you know that there there has been a long lasting and very viable. African American community there in Old Ford, and so Paul uh, again is is kind of nearing the end of his career, and and uh, he was very excited about the prospect of this kind of being uh, an important part of his legacy. So the memorial itself is, um, and Steve I think has the dimensions memorized better than I, but uh, but uh, uh, is about what five five and a half feet tall maybe. Um, it's actually about six feet tall and about five feet wide mm. and it's it's native rock some from the streams some from just the ground it's a a masterful creation a beautiful uh, formative uh, display into which in the center of which the plaques will be inserted with an east front and a west front we're not going to call either side the back they're both going to be the front. Right. Yeah, well, this is a wonderful description of, of how the uh, memorial will look. And and it's very um, is very, uh, uh, you know, well, I'm very grateful, Dan, to know that Paul is involved with the project. Paul is someone who I know and and he's one of those people who has a servant's heart. And so he really does, you know, you know, serve and he serves a community and knowing that this is going to be one of his well his last project uh that he's going to do i think makes it even more meaningful well you know um Steve and and Dan, this has been a group effort. It's not just been the work that the two of you have been have done uh, on this, but there's a larger group of folks who have been involved um, to help uh, spearhead this and steer it to completion. Can you tell us about who some of those folks are? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, one of the first things that Steve and I did was sit down and say, okay, who. Who can we uh, enlist or uh, twist their arm or whatever get involved? And and uh, actually, one of the first uh, first names we came up with was, uh, or I came up with, was Darren Waters. So, <laughs> Amen. I, Amen. I, didn't, to that. I didn't give Darren. Uh, I didn't give Darren much choice. <laughs> so, so my wife. Uh, hates to hear me say this, but uh, just to irritate her, I'll say, you know, Darren owes me. And so I was, kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but seriously, his expertise in uh, Western North Carolina and, and African Americans in Western North Carolina was very important. And so we had, um, uh, I guess, a number of people who are historians and Chesky Smith again, 
uh, Rowan Bishop, who is the uh, uh, site supervisor at the um, uh, Mountain Gateway Museum, uh, and is very knowledgeable, of course, about the railroad and about the uh, the uh, incarcerated labor, all those issues. Uh, uh, Ashley Whittle, who is in the UNCA Special Collections, who's who's from a railroad family and uh, is from Old Fort, uh, has been part of that. Uh, and so uh, it was great. To, it's been great to have that historical expertise. Uh, Jeff Fudge, who is with the Western, Western Regional Office of Archives and History, again, added additional uh, historical expertise. And then to have community members as well. And so um, uh, we had uh, Jim Stokely, uh, who was Wilma Dykeman's son, who actually wrote the one of the chapters in the French Broad is 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 about uh, the mountain division and the construction of the railroad up the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we we really wanted again community members and so um, individuals from both counties. Ray McKesson, who is the head of the of the uh, McDowell County NAACP, uh, he is our vice chairman, and uh, you know has just been an enthusiastic supporter. Uh, all along the way and, 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 and very key. And then very interestingly, uh, we were able to uh, recruit, uh, and it, it, this wasn't intentional on the front end, but it is, as it ended up, two African-American police chiefs. And so Melvin Lytle, who is the, uh, is, is the chief of police uh, at Old Fort, and Melvin was key at the uh, Old Fort's kind of like Mayberry. And so it's a small town. And so <laughs> Melvin uh, is the police chief, but he's also on the board of aldermen. And so he really was able to very quickly uh, help us get, get the approval of the board of aldermen to, uh, to, to put the memorial at Andrews Geyser. So we're very much indebted to him. Uh, and then Eric Boyce, who is the chief of police at UNC Asheville. Uh, has been a key member of the committee. And Eric um, has that perspective of law enforcement, but also is is a native of McDowell County and still has very strong roots in McDowell County. And so, so um, again, we, and, and, and of course, Steve, uh, but, um, you know, it's been a great group to work with. Uh, I don't know that I've ever tried to put together a group of folks where uh, everybody I ask immediately agreed if that was the case. Uh, here, so so we're very much indebted to um, to the support and work of 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 all of our uh, all of our committee members. Yeah, I have to I have to say, Dan, and maybe we can address this after the show. But um, I was very uh, my ears perked up when you said that Darren owes you. <laughs> I had I, I had no idea that Darren was running around out here with with outstanding debts <laughs> that have yet to be paid. So maybe after the show, Dan, we can discuss. <laughs> what my brother owes you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I am, um, you know, Dan, you've just given him uh, more ammunition, you know, uh, <laughs> so, which, um, but one of the things I'll, you know, Steve, I'll ask and, and you as well, Dan, is there still time for people who might be interested, who haven't been involved to get involved in the project and how can they do that? They can donate. That is helpful because we do have more phases of our work that we want to get into so so yes we want them first to 
be attentive to when the official date is announced formally for the dedication and then come down to Andrews Geyser and be there for that. But then we have some more work we want to do. We want to put up some wayfaring signs to supplement the memorial at Andrews Geyser. We want to put up a wayfaring sign up at the Swannanoa Tunnel uh, at the western portal, which is in Black Mountain. Mm -hmm. The eastern portal of the Swannanoa Tunnel is in McDowell County, western portal in Buncombe County. That tunnel, by the way, 1,832 feet long, six football fields end to end, had two crews working, one at each end. This was in the 1870s, working, and when they met on March 11, 1879, the grade and the centers met exactly. Incredible. Incredible. And who did it? The incarcerated laborers who were not deemed worthy even to have their names recorded at the time. Well, wow. And, and I'm curious, Dan and Steve, and this is just my own lack of knowledge about this, about this project. Is the railroad still now as active as it was back then or has it has it fallen to <laughs> fallen into uh, uh, you know, some disuse or, or what? Well, yes. The, the last passenger trains were roughly 45 to 50 years ago. Okay. Uh, there's still freights every single day that go through the seven tunnels of the mountain division. One of those tunnels is still just like it was completed by the incarcerated laborers with no concrete reinforcement. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it is an awe-inspiring thing to see. But yes, it is still used. And quite honestly, with, with uh, not enough people to drive trucks these days, uh, I see businesses utilizing rail more and more. I think they'd be smart to do so. Right. You know, Steve, you know, Marcus asked that question. That was going to be one of my questions. You know, what can we do to bring passenger rail back to Western North Carolina? Yes. I mean, I, you know, uh, in the eastern part of the state, you know, my son, uh, Lewis, he loves to ride the train. And he while he was a student at UNC uh, Charlotte, you I mean, he would take the train from uh, from Raleigh. You can take it from Raleigh to Charlotte. But, you know, I would love it if you could get rail back to Western North Carolina. I mean, it's beautiful. I remember my grandparents um, would, you know, would take us on the train when there was still passenger rail. Uh, and this would be in the 70s, the, you know, probably the early and mid 70s. But it, each year, my grandparents, uh, Ike and Geraldine Rice, would just to give us the experience of riding on a train, we would go into Biltmore Village, get on the train, and then, you know, take it down uh, to, to O'Fort. And then, you know, they would my um, my grandfather would usually follow in the car and then pick us up and then bring us back. But it was just such a wonderful experience. I would love to see that come back to Western North Carolina. Another topic for another day maybe yeah. is what is called the WNC Rail Committee, mm-hmm. where my good friend, uh, former state representative Ray Rapp from Madison County from Mars Hill. Uh, he and I have been co-chairman of that for several years. It involves a lot of municipalities and counties and organizations in Western North Carolina. And that is our goal, okay. to, re- to improve freight and to restore passenger rail. 
Well, if there's anything we can do to help support that, you know, I think, Marcus, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm all in to help support that effort, Steve. And we want to thank you, you all for taking the time to come back and join us again for this conversation to give us this update on where you are. And just for our listeners, if you want to support this project, you can go to the website. Uh, and the website is simply the rail project. And that is one word, the rail And there's a lot of information, some back history, some of the stories behind the, the, the construction of the railroad, I think you'll find it an enjoyable uh, site to actually go visit, and you can actually donate there as well. Well, Dan and, and Steve, any final, one final thought that you have here as, as Marcus and I get ready to uh, close out this show? The most, the single most important event of the development of Western North Carolina was the building of the railroad Road. up the mountain. Thank you. compared. Thank you, Steve. And again, thank you, Dan. You have a final thought. Well, I just just encourage folks to be on the lookout for uh, the official announcement of our dedication. It's going to be a wonderful occasion. It's going to be a solemn occasion. Uh, we've talked about this, mm-hmm. and um, but uh, but it but it's also um, I, I think folks will very much benefit. And, and if you can't make it to then, you know, um, after October, make, make the trip down the mountain and see the memorial. Um, one thing, again, Paul did such wonderful work. One of the really cool things he did were to incorporate rail spikes into the memorial. And so it's just, it's a work of art. It really is. So, uh, so, uh, Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your work, for helping to spearhead this project and for for moving the project uh, forward. Congratulations on that. And again, as we conclude this show, Marcus and I want to remind you that the Watterson Harvest Show in, at the Watterson Harvest Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina, in partnership with the Institute for the Promotion of Human Understanding. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, the BPR and NPR One mobile apps, and on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. You can follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter, or you can write us at whshow at BPR.org. And Marcus and I will look forward to joining you again next time. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>